good morning. Glad to be back in the house of the Lord on this awesome fall morning. It's very nice weather outside, and it's kind of a good change. It's been a little hot lately, but we're going to, before um, we worship this morning, we're going to stand together and greet somebody. So let's stand and greet someone this morning, and then we'll come back together for worship. Let's come back together for worship this morning.
this morning, before we continue starting uh, to go through the rest of our worship this morning, I have a special song I want to sing to a boy named Keaton. Is that right, Keaton? He's four. He turned four yesterday. All right, so we're going to sing as a congregation. Happy birthday to Keaton, if that's okay. You think we can do that? All right. And happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Keaton. Happy birthday to you and many more. Okay. All right. So this next song um, is a song that we introduced. We kind of did a uh, preview of it on um, Facebook. So if you want to sing along, um, please do so. If you want to take this time to pray and, and prepare yourself for the rest of worship, do that as well. But this is called Though You Slay Me. The kind of the purpose behind it is there are times in our life where God takes things from us to give us something else. Sometimes we have to give up something in our fleshly nature so that he can continue growing us into the person he wants us to be. So he's slaying our flesh and uh, bringing about the spirit, uh, his spirit within us. So we're going to sing that together this morning. I come, God, I come, return to the Lord, the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You strike down to bind me up, you say you do it all in love, that I might know you in your suffering. And though you slay me, and yet I will praise you, and though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, still I will worship and sing a song to the one who's all I need. My heart and flesh may fail. My heart and flesh may fail. The earth below give way. And with my eyes, with, with my eyes, I see the Lord. Lifted high upon that day. Behold the Lamb that was slain. And I know that every tear was worth it all. And though you slay me, and though you slay me, and yet I will praise you. And though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, and still I will worship and sing a song to the one who's all I need. Though tonight I'm crying out, let this cup pass from me now. You're still more than I need, and you're enough and for me, Lord. And you're enough 
for me. And though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, still I will worship and sing a song to the one who's all alive. And sing a song to the one who's all I Your great name. He has to leave. And at the sound of your great name, Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us, Son of God in man.
God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for another wonderful day, God. And as we continue to worship, Father, as we continue to come and listen to the words that you'd have to say to us this morning, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would open our eyes, we'd open our ears and our hearts to what you'd have to say, Father. Um, thank you again for this uh, beautiful weather, Father, and thank you for this opportunity to be together in this house, uh, worshiping you this morning. It's your name I pray. Lord, please be with the offering we take and that it would go to your kingdom and uh, go to serve you. It's your holy and precious name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. As um, the, the ladies make their way back in from taking all the kids, um, a few announcements that, um, well, one announcement that we forgot to tell Jamie, and then I want to elaborate on one, is the first one is we're looking at possibly taking the kids to the pumpkin patch. Uh, anybody that might want to go to that before the time's up, it'd be something more or less the, the families do amongst themselves. Um, but I think Sarah's going to kind of, charge that on so see Sarah about it if you uh, are interested in taking your kid I know everybody's got young kids but if you want to take your kids or uh, maybe grandkids to the pumpkin patch uh, I think it's got to be done before before um, October ends right so good luck finding the time but we're looking at possibly doing it and then the second thing was on the wild horse ministry summer and match y'all correct me where I'm wrong um, but the way that kind of operates is they actually take a wild horse and in the two-hour frame of the event, the guy breaks the horse in front of everybody in that two hours. And in the meantime of breaking the horse, he presents the gospel. And, uh, and I've never seen it, so I don't know exactly how he does it, but he presents the gospel in that two hours in comparison to breaking that horse. 
Uh, and so I want to encourage you uh, to be, come and be a part of it for our area. If you didn't notice, we do horse shows and rodeos pretty often, so hopefully it'll be a good event we can do to share the gospel to those around us. Uh, but I do know that to set up and take down, we are going to need some volunteers to help them with that at some point Monday morning or evening, Monday morning to lunch, somewhere around there. More details closer to time and then after the show. Uh, so uh, we're going to need help in those two areas. And then we're still trying to find out details on the idea of doing a, um, a uh, concession stand or not. We may... Uh, since Clanton's letting us use the arena, he may be the one that does the concession. So we're working out the details of that, but we will need help with that. And then also just the support of people to go and attend. Uh, seems like a great ministry that we can uh, host here in our town, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so mothers, fathers, see Sarah about the pumpkin patch, and then also let's be in prayer for the horse arena show, the wild horse ministry. Uh, it's a great opportunity to share the gospel with people that may never come to Lighthouse Community Church or any other church in this area. So if you would, turn with me to um, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Um, and so excited about preaching through this this morning. I uh, was going to go from 12 to uh, 17, but I'm just going to do 12 through 15 this morning. Uh, because next week, another announcement is we have a band going to come and lead worship for us. Um, their name will call the Swingin' Hammers. Do not ask me why they're called the Swingin' Hammers, but I will ask them that Saturday. Um, but they're a uh, semi-professional band out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, they contacted me about leading worship for us. Uh, I listen to the band just about every week, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, many of you have probably never heard of them, and that's okay, but they're going to do some songs that me and Troy picked out for them to pick from that you're all used to, and then they're going to do a few of their own songs as well. So the worship will be a little extended. Uh, the, the time of song will be a little longer next week than it is this week, so I'm going to try to preach a little shorter next week. So next week I'm just going to look at verses 16 and 17. So this week I covered less for that purpose. But let us pray, and then we'll look at verses 12 through 15. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for the opportunity just to come to your house and just, just sing some songs to you guys, some songs that we know oh so well, and some songs that are represented by the angels singing in heaven, God, and how we can sing holy, holy, holy to you as the angels around your throne do, God. I thank you for allowing us to join in on them, God. But I also thank you for the rest of the songs that we can just celebrate your forgiveness and grace and mercy. And we hold on to your love in all things in this life, God. And I just pray this morning as we look at the unity of the church and the unity of believers through the blood of Christ, God, that if there's any area in our individual lives that unity does not exist, God, that we, we pray for that to be mended, God or any unforgiveness or any issues that we hold against others. God, I pray that you do a work only you can do. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at 12 through 15, and really what we're going to see is talking about the unity of the church. And really what I want to say first and foremost is I'm going to, uh, I want to commend our church. This is an area that I think we do a wonderful job in. I think we're a very unified church. I think the way that we make our decisions is as a body and pretty much uh, unanimous at times. But this is an issue that we have to remind ourselves on a regular basis because as our job and our 
or desire is to reach the lost, right? It's to see lost come to Christ, to see lost saved. And when we do that, hopefully they will come and be a part of our church. And so as we grow the church in that kind of way, unity is something we can lose over time naturally. So I pray that this morning is a reminder to us to be unified now, but in the future as well. But as I was preparing this this week and I was thinking about the message as I went on the week, uh, uh, the week past, I was thinking of just kind of how divided our world can be at times. And I came up with some things that are serious and I came up with some that I want to talk about that are a little less serious. And the ones that I really thought about was, you know, you know, we, we divide over political parties or presidential uh, candidates or we, we divide over fra- favorite sports. And we see that this morning, right, because Mallory was just screaming a war eagle to Troy as he walked in. Um, and, you know, we see this division in sports teams and uh, even parental styles. You see that division there. You see divisions when people favor restaurants. And there's, there's so many more things that we get divided on in this world that sometimes we have to let go. We have to look past. But I wanted to give two examples this morning out of mine and Sarah's uh, household. Uh, two issues that we run into some all, sometimes often, and they're not big things, they're little things, and they're kind of funny things, but I wanted to talk about them. And I thought she was going to be in here, um, and so I was, I'm not doing this because she's not in here. I was going to do it when I thought she was going to be in here, uh, but the two that come to my mind is a, it's a two-folded thing. The first one is a, one of my favorite all-time movies in this world. Sarah hates this movie. We kind of argue about this movie at times. And I love this movie. And I, I've talked to people and I've watched TV shows that talk about this movie. And so often people will get divided over this movie as well. And it's either a love or a hate thing. And it's the movie Field of Dreams. Like, y'all ever seen Field of Dreams? You probably only know one line from the entire movie. And that is, if you build it, they will come. But I, I've talked to people about it. People either love that movie or they hate that movie. They either think it's one of the, the dumbest movies ever because who builds a, corn, a baseball field in a cornfield, or they love it because it's just a pastime coming together and playing baseball together. And that's one thing we, we kind of we go back and forth a lot about. And then the second thing was there's two types of people in this world when it comes to this next area, and there's dog people and there's cat people. All right, dog people and cat people. Sarah is that cat person. And y'all can tell her I said this, because like I said, I planned on doing it. But if me and Sarah would have never met and she would have never got married, Sarah would have been that old cat lady at some point in her life. All right, she would bring every cat home with her that she could. Um, But I'm not a cat person. I like my cat. But you learn to like things over time, right? Uh, I like my cat. I don't deny that. But I'm a dog person. And when I think about this story, and I don't want to offend anybody in this, when I think about what's going on with dog and cats people, we all seen the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven. There's not one called the opposite, is there? So that's dog people are the way to go. Dogs is where it's at. But I, I, these are two funny things I wanted to talk about because division, it happens in every area of life. It happens in, in our families. It happens in businesses and organizations and sports teams. And just in case you didn't know this this morning, it happens in churches as well. But most of the time in churches, it's not over big issues. It's not over things that really matter. Most of the time in churches, it tends to be over things that we could really look over at times. So this morning, I want to look at Colossians 3. But before I do that, I want to read Mark chapter 3, verse 25. 
I'm going to read this again at the end of the sermon as well, so you'll catch it twice. Um, but Mark chapter 3, verse 25, this is Jesus talking. And when the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons in the name of Satan, he responds and he says, If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. This morning, what I want us to know is as a church, we have to learn to look over things and to look over division in whatever area it may be and let us focus on the big things. And this morning, we're going to look at exactly how to do that according to God's Word. But as I preach this sermon on these four verses, it really comes down to a simple sentence, and I want to tell it to you now. is that we look to Christ's perfection, not another's imperfection, to motivate our actions. We look to Christ and the way we respond rather than look into another individual's imperfection. Christ is what's got to glue us together. Verse 12, I'm going to read it and then I'll read 13 and then I'll read 14 and 15 as we discuss them verse by verse. Verse 12 says this, Therefore as God chosen, uh, chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I know if you're following along and you're not using the CSB, your words will probably be a little bit different, but I've looked and looked, and I'm going to talk about it in such a way that all of the words mean the same thing. But what we see in this is the first thing that Paul uses in this set section of Scripture is the word, therefore. And I've said this a lot, and I'll say it as long as I preach God's Word. When you see the word, therefore, what you have to do is look back and to see what he's talking about. Therefore, is looking backwards to something else. Not forwards, but backwards. And what he's looking backwards to is that Paul is explaining in verses 3, 1 through 11, that we have died to the old self and we have been risen in Christ Jesus. Therefore, since we have died to the old self, then what we should do now is to put on the new man, to put on the new woman, to put on the new boy or girl, however old you are. Our job is to take off the old, and we talked about that for two weeks. We talked about taking off the sexual morality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires, the anger, the wrath, and many others. We talked about taking these things off and putting on the new man, and this morning we're going to look exactly what new man we should be putting on. And when we put on the new man, then what happens is we're not divided anymore, but we centered on the same thing. Because when you look at the end of verse 11, he says, but Christ is all and in all. That should be the center of everything we do is Christ Jesus. So first and foremost, let's look at the idea of putting on. It's putting on the new man. And I used the analogy last week of, uh, of a, a parent that had a child that was playing in the mud all day, came in the house, took a shower, get ready for, to eat dinner, and then they put on all the dirty clothes again, and how some of your OCD parents would have been really upset about that. And the other ones would have said that you did this pointlessly, that that shower was pointless when you take off them old dirty clothes and you get clean. You have to put on the new clothes again that's what he's talking about here is putting on these new clothes we were put off the old and now we're putting on the new and putting on the new begins with the idea of compassion uh, I don't know if your translation says the same word or not but it's this idea of compassion we ought to first and foremost put on compassion and what compassion really is and I'm going to define each of these compassion is the motivation to what we do in life Compassion is what drives us in a lot of the ways that we live. 
He defines compassion as, the, as I've looked and looked, I would define it as this. It's the response to the need of others. A concern for the needy and a readiness to meet their needs. Is that when we see someone that are in need of some way or another, that we are ready to meet their need. It's when you see, um, it's like right now, when you look around the world today, you see hurricane after hurricane, and you see um, different places that are, are completely devastated, right? And you look at this situation, and you see what's going on, and it should draw up in you compassion. It should draw up this desire to see somebody's need and to meet it. Now, not obviously, we can't meet every need in this world. So when we look at it in the context of our church, we should have compassion for the individual members as well. That when you see your brother and sister in Christ mourning the loss of a loved one or can't pay their bills or, or can't do what it is that ever they need to do and they're in just in a need, in a difficult situation, what it should draw up in you is this desire and this compassion for them. Scripture tells us time and time again that we should mourn with those who mourn and we should weep with those who weep and we should rejoice with those who rejoice. And this morning is talking about this compassion that we have for one another. See, compassion, though, is just this idea of, of the motivation. It's this feeling we get inside. And if I told you, and let's say, and I pray this doesn't happen to anyone, but let's say for some reason you couldn't go back to your home tonight. And I told you I had compassion for you. And I didn't offer for you to stay in my house. What compassion does that lead to? What does that really lead to in our lives? Nothing, right? And so he goes on, he says kindness. And when we think of kindness, what we think of a lot of times is saying please and thank you. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and all of this. But kindness is really this action of compassion. It's putting compassion into action in our life. And it's, it's not only this desire to meet somebody's needs, but it's the action of meeting their needs. It's that when you see a brother and sister in Christ and they have a need in their life, that you meet it by being kind to them in whatever way that may be. If that means that you help them financially, if that means that you encourage them, you pray for them, you, you talk to them, you spend time with them, whatever it may be, we're called to put our compassion into action, and that is through kindness. Then he goes on, and he says humility. Uh, humility is something that a lot of people lack uh, in today's world. Humility is something I think most believers struggle with. Because the opposite coin of humility, of, of a lack of humility, is pridefulness. And that is, I think, one of the biggest idols that we can create in our lives is ourselves. And so when we think of this idea of humility, I've defined it, defined it as this. Knowing that we are not great and, that we, and not pretending that we are. This is the reality, and this is what I want us to know, is that when you read Romans, it points back to some Old Testament scripture, and it tells us... Uh, it's actually Romans chapter 3. He says that no one is good, no, not one. That pridefulness is something that, is, that plagues all of us, but in reality, what we should be putting on is humility. And what we should understand is that we're all sinful, broken, fallen. We all make mistakes. We all have issues in this life. Like, if we're just going to be really honest, how many of you, don't raise your hand, please, but how many of you have family drama that happens from time to time? It all happens to us, right? We all deal with it. I, I, could, I could sit here and I could talk for days about some of the, the family drama I have going on in my life right now. 
And you would be amazed and you would be shocked. But in reality, this is just an example of why we shouldn't act like we're better than anybody else or that we have anything figured out than nobody and that we're just greater because we're not. We are not greater than anyone else and therefore we should not pretend like we are. And this is kind of the same, the same example and the same thing we look to for humility is the same as the rest of them. But we see this in Christ. We see that Christ humbled himself. In a lot of different ways, but two specific things. As you think back to when Christ knelt down and He washed the feet of His disciples. This was a humbling thing. Um, and, and think about it in such a way that how many people do you sit down and wash their feet? Right? If you Just to be honest, most of your husband and wives are going to wash the feet of your other spouse, Right? Because most people don't like feet. Uh, but this, this is one way that Christ humbled himself. was He, he washed the, pe- the feet of his disciples. But the most important way Christ humbled himself was that he laid down his life and he got nailed to a cross for our namesakes. And because of that, he is the perfect example of humility. And we are to humble ourselves because Christ first humbled himself. He was, he was the God of the heaven. He, he lived in heaven for all eternity. He was with the Trinity in perfect unison forever and ever and always would be until he stepped out of heaven and humbled himself to be a man. And when he did, he took on sin and death and he died for our namesake. The next thing we see in Scripture, he says gentleness. This gentleness is really this idea, and it's, it's an idea I think we've lost in America, but around the world, and we've lost it. And when we are, when division happens, we lose it in that moment, especially. But gentleness is being able to see the things another point of view. Gentleness is a result of humility. When you humble yourself, you can listen to other people. When you humble yourself, you can pay attention to what other people have to say. When you humble yourself, I don't know if y'all have ever experienced anything like this, but I've been to a church where they would argue over the color of a church of the carpet. Anybody ever had an experience like that? When you humble yourself, it doesn't matter if the carpet's blue, red, green, and whatever weird colors they picked out in the 70s, right? It doesn't matter if it's hardwood uh, carpet. It doesn't matter if the building's black, white, blue, gray, yellow, purple. When we humble ourselves and we are gentle to one another's opinions and thoughts, we focus on the big things. We don't focus on the little things. I'm not saying all churches are arguing about Carpet color by no means, but that's just an example that I've experienced in my life. When you're gentle with somebody, you can set your own thoughts and own opinions to the side, and you can talk about what's important, and that is Christ. The last thing we see in verse 12 is patience. Patience is something that we think of in in a lot of different ways. We think about being patient in the car, which a lot of us are not at times. We think about being patient when you're going through the line of the grocery store. You think about being patient with your kids. You think about being patient in a lot of different ways. But when he talks about it here, it's a little different in the original context than it is here in ours. Patience really means uh, enduring in the face of wrongdoing done to us by others and not retaliating and refraining from acting in anger. Being patient is more than just not uh, using certain hand gestures at the car in front of you when you're stuck in traffic or not honking the horn or not yelling or not being a little more irritated, uh, irritated at your kids than you need to be. Being patient in this context is when people wrong you in the church, you let it go and you're impatient and you don't retaliate. You, don't ref- you, don't, uh, you refrain from acting in anger, but you, in reality you're patient with them in this. 
And it's because we're all broken, we're all fallen, we're all sinful. Then verse 13, if you would, go on and read with me. 13 says this, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against his brother, against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also to forgive. He says first and foremost, to bear with one another. To bear with one another means to put up with things in others that would naturally produce our reactions such as anger and resentment. Or continuing to love one another in spite of disagreements, their weaknesses, sins, and issues. When we put up with one another, when we bear with one another, what it really means is that when we disagree, when we have hard times, when somebody sins against us, they hurt us, they, they, they disagree with us, whenever any of these things happens, whatever it may be, what happens when we bear with one another is that we let go of these things and we're about to see how we do so. We, we bear with them by forgiving one another. And so, in a minute, I'm going to have a, a thing I'm going to do before that. But to forgive one another, it means to forgive one graciously, freely, and completely when they have done you wrong. Um, if we're just going to be honest, there's not a person in the world that may never hurt you. There's not a person in this world or in this church that you're going to agree with completely. There's not one you're going you're gonna to line up with perfectly. I don't care if it's your mother, father, spouse, uh, myself included. Everyone's going to disagree. And we're going to hurt one another. That's just a reality. That's just, uh, just, a, just a reality to life. If you ask somebody that's been married for a year or somebody that's been married for 50 years and you ask them one simple question, has that spouse ever hurt you in some way or another or disappointed you in some way or another? Everybody would say yes because of why. We're all fallen, we're all broken. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinful, and therefore, since we're all sinful, we're going to hurt people in this life. So what we're called to do as the individual, though, is to forgive people. To forgive them as Christ forgave you. I think of the Lord's Supper, and the, not the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Prayer, is to forgive those as they, uh, forgive me as I have forgiven those who have trespassed against me. Think about that statement if you just break it down slowly. It says, Lord, forgive me as I have forgiven those who trespass against me. If you want to look at that in an honest way, how often do we hold on to resentment and to issues with unforgiveness? And, and when we pray a prayer like that and we ask God to forgive us as, those, as we forgive those around us, how much forgiveness are we really receiving at times? And then another example I thought about for forgiveness is... Uh, and it's a funny example, and I don't want to make light of forgiveness, but uh, I thought about this one. But has anybody ever seen a Medea movie? Anybody ever seen those Medea movies? Um, I haven't seen them since like the first two or three, so it's been a long time. Uh, I saw we were coming out with Boo 2, which I, I, I can't believe Boo 1 was good enough to make a second one. But, uh, but I, I think about Medea, you know, she's this character that she's not a good example by no means, so I'm not encouraging that, but, you know, I think back to one of the movies, I forget which one it was. She was talking to Dr. Phil, and when she was talking to Dr. Phil, she says, I've got to get them before I get got. Y'all know that point? And it's, it's just, you probably saw it on memes and things like that, young guys. Y'all probably saw it on memes and gifts or whatever they're called. Uh, but you see this idea of get before I get got. This is the idea of unforgiveness, is that we, have, we feel like because we've been hurt in this world, we have to get others before they have a chance to get us back. 
But this isn't what God teaches. This is against God's Word. We're called to forgive one another and to let go that the sins of our brothers and sisters have against us because all that does is hurt us. All that does is a contrary to what God's Word is. And ultimately, Christ has forgiven you way more than you ever deserved. Christ has forgiven me more than I have ever deserved. There's a book I love. In a, it's called What is the Gospel? And they explain what the Gospel is in that book. It's a really simple book. I would encourage anybody to read that book. If you like to read, I will buy you a copy but it's called what is the gospel and in defining the sin of man he says that you know so often when we look at our sins we think of a target and when we look at that target we think that we just miss the bullseye by just a little bit and that's what sin is but he explains what sin really is is that we're aimed at the target and then we decide to turn in the opposite direction and shoot our arrow that way because what sin is is a complete rebellion against god and the beauty of it all is that if you've come to christ and salvation Christ has forgiven you of all of that. All of the things negative you've thought about God. All of the things that you did against Him. All of that sin and those problems. Christ has forgiven you of all of them. So therefore what we're called to do is to forgive those that have trespassed against us. Then verses 14 through 15 says this. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bound of unity bond of unity and let the peace of christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful he says above all else put on love and how would i address love if i did not turn to first corinthians chapter 13 i want to read this to you uh first corinthians 13 1 through 3 says this if i speak human and angelic tongues but do not have love i am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal if i have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries so that i may move the uh, all mysteries and all knowledge and have all the faith so that i can move mountains but do not have love i am nothing and if i give away all of my possessions and i give over my body to in order to boast but do not have love i gain nothing um i think back to john david's birthday I guess last year, me and Sarah had this bright idea of buying, I think it was a microphone for him. Um, And luckily, uh, hopefully that wasn't too loud, but Sarah stopped me because I was going to buy him a drum set. Um, And uh, she stopped me from doing so. But I I think about this, if if you're a parent here and you had a kid that's had a drum set or a guitar or, or something like that, and some of you just had sons with race cars and stuff, that would probably be the same thing. And that noise just got on your nerves after a certain period of time, right? They would beat on the drums, they would make a loud racket, and as much as you love your precious angel, eventually it just got old, right? And what he's saying here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, he's saying, look, we can do everything in this world right. We can meet the needs, we can act right, we can live right. But if we don't have love, then we have nothing at all. We're just like that kid playing on a drum set in your house. Eventually it gets old and you can tell they're not sincere about it. So in reality, what we're called to do is to put on love above all else. To the point that when Jesus would teach, he actually laid down the law into two parts. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. 
What we're called to do is to put on love above all else. We're called to first love God with all that we are, love each other, and love the world around us, love the lost around us. And this is how we build up a bond of unity. It's by loving one another. And when you read 1 Corinthians 13, I would encourage you to go back and read it, especially verses 4 to the end of the chapter. What you see is love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love does not end, love endures all things. You see all of these things that we read at a wedding and things like that, and I'm not against that. But when you read 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to think about it in the context of what Paul meant. And he was talking about the church. That we are to love each other. It's love is patient. Lynn's, I'm supposed to love Lynn patiently. Long-suffering. Enduring to the end. We're called to love one another in the church in such a way that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 to uh, 4 through the end of the chapter. This is why love is what binds, binds us all together. Then the end of that is verse 15. And he says that he says, In the peace of Christ to which you were also called. In one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. The peace of Christ to me and simply is the salvation that we find in Christ Jesus. That we have a peace above all things in Christ Jesus. And because of our salvation in Christ Jesus, then what we're called to do is to put off the old man, put on the new man, and we're called to put on compassion, we're called to put on kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. When we look to Christ as an example, then what we are to do is to put these things into practice in our lives. And as I talked about uh, a little while ago, I want to ask you to do one thing for me. I want you to look around at everybody in the room. I want you to look at every individual that you can see, including myself. Look at everybody you can see for me. Just, just follow along with me. It don't take long. It's not that many of us. Uh, I know you can't see in the nursery, but there's people there too. Um, what I want you to know about that is this. They will hurt you. They'll treat you bad. They'll disagree with you. They will sin against you. And at some point or another, they will. They may slip up and they may talk bad about you behind your backs. They may lie to you. They may look at themselves as better than you. They may, they may do all of these things and you may be the one that practices those things. But in reality, no church is perfect. We can't go somewhere where these things does not happen because the church is built up of a bunch of sinful and broken people. And when we expect that from individuals in the church, then what's going to happen is we're going we're gonna to leave the church. When we expect the church to be perfect, we're going to leave the church because it did not meet our expectations. But through putting on Christ at the center of our hearts and our church, we put on love. A love for God, a love for one another, and a love for the lost around us. Thus we put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving. When we look to Christ as our, in His perfectness and not the imperfection of others, we can hold on to the church and trust what God is doing in it all. Because the reality is, I may hurt you, I may disappoint you, I may tell you something wrong, I may treat you in a bad way, but what you can hold on to is the love that Christ has for you. And when you hold on to the love that Christ has for you, you put on all of these things and you overlook the little bit of problems we have. You overlook our disagreements, our imperfections, and our hard times. And what happens is we can be a church in which God is proud of, and that is a church that is unified in Christ Jesus. We don't allow other things to disunify us. We don't allow other things to come in the way. We allow Christ to be the dead center of what we got going on. 
or for many of you uh, fix-it-yourself kind of men. When we allow Christ to be the glue, the duct tape, or whatever may be holding whatever together in your life. When you allow Christ to be that, then what He can do is He can hold our church together. As I said and begin with Mark chapter 3, verse 5. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. See, my prayer for our church is simple. And I think we're on the right track. I, I don't want to beat us up about this, but I want us to continue on the right trail. Is that if we trust in Christ to be the center of what we're doing and depend on His grace, mercy, and love, and we hold on to the big things, then when the little things happen, when we disagree over whatever it may be, if it's in this world or if it's in this church, when we disagree with these things, we hold on to the deity of Christ, the forgiveness of sin in Him, our salvation is in Him, Christ is a part of the Trinity, when we hold on to these doctrinal things that are large in the importance of what we do in this life, then what happens is we can look over somebody's mistakes. We can look over somebody's hard times, somebody's sins, somebody's problems. But, but see, this is the thing, and as Troy comes, I'm preaching to us as individuals as well. See, you as an individual, you have to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiving one another, bearing with one another. You have to put on these things. You can't look at your brother or sister in Christ and say, well, I'll put it on if they put it on. It's not how it works. We have to, as individuals, put on these aspects of the new Christian life and live in them and then encourage our brothers and sisters to follow suit. The question this morning is, are you going to put on these things or not? See, in reality, is we're called for a purpose, and that purpose is to share the gospel to the world around us and to stand up for the needy. And the reality is so often churches can allow everything else in the world to prevent them from doing so. And I think our church does a good job of seeking after Christ and having that same mind and that same purpose, but it doesn't take but just a second to lose that, that sight. You think about this. this um, I grew up playing baseball as a kid, and I loved baseball. Hence why Field of Dreams is one of my favorite base movies ever. Um, there's this teaching they teach you when you bat. They say don't take your eye off the ball, right? Because as soon as you take your eye off that ball, you're going to swing high or low and you're going to miss. And the reality is we take our eyes off Christ and we put them on something else that is a minor issue in life. What's going to happen is we're going to swing and we're going to miss. And we're not going to be doing what God's called us to do. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you for who you are and what you are. God, I thank you for the unity that we can find in you. I thank you for the love we find in you, the peace we find in you, God. And I pray that as we as individuals, we don't look at someone else, we don't look at anything else in this world and to define how unified we are. And God, what we focus on is focusing on you. And God, we're just like that as a kid playing baseball or that grown man in the MLB playing baseball, God. We keep our eyes on the ball and we swing and we hit a home run, God. We keep our eyes on you and trust in you. And God, when we do so, unity is something that comes naturally. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you, and we thank you for this day. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen. If you would, let's stand and... Savior say
thy strength indeed is small and child of weakness watch and pray and find in me thy all in all jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. the one who paid my debt and oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life the throne I stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save mine my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin I left a Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. 